Cheesy does it here. Chad is in beautiful Costa Rica this week, which means you get me a guest host and a finished product that resembles a Grateful Dead bootleg more than it does the silky smooth production quality you're used to. Hey, whatever. It's not like we're solving world peace up in here. Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Oh, yeah. Because cheese pizzas are the best pizzas anyway. Hey, kids, it's Joel Pole Dancer Cheeseman. And I'm leaving. You'll never be able to pronounce my name correctly, Von Liebenhäuser. True that. On this week's show, Step Stoned and the Maya Munchies. Startups hope to dethrone LinkedIn and stripping ain't easy. Sit tight. We're building bridges across the Atlantic this week. Lock the doors. You're listening to You already know that Sovereign makes the world's best resume CV parser. But did you know that Sovereign also makes the world's best AI matching engine? Only Sovereign's AI matching engine goes beyond the buzzwords. With Sovereign, you control how the engine thinks. With every match, the Sovereign engine tells you what matched and exactly how each matching document was scored. And if you don't agree with the way it scored the matches, you can simply move some sliders to tell it to score the matches your way. No other engine on earth gives you that combination of insight and control. With Sovereign, matching isn't some frustrating black box, trust us, it's magic, one-shot deal like all the others. No. With Sovereign... Matching is completely understandable, completely controllable, and actually kind of fun. Sovereign. Software so human, you'll want to take it to dinner. Oh, yeah. Europe is in the house today. Levin, welcome to the show. Hi, Joe, and thanks for having me. So say your last name again for everybody. Von Nievenhausen. <laughs> Von Bismarck What? Right, I'm just going to call you Leaving Las Vegas. Does that work for you? <laughs> it's almost the same thing, I guess. Nice, nice. So thanks for guest co-hosting with me today in Chad's absence. We've already pushed a soundbite that we weren't supposed to, or at least I have. So we've got our mistake out of the way, which means it's going to be a silky smooth show the rest of the way. So for our listeners, and that's 100% pretty much, don't know who you are, give us your Twitter bio. Okay, Twitter meaning fast. Um, short. Okay, short, short. I'm Lieven van Ibenes. I'm Chief Digital at House of HR. And in the US, you probably don't know House of HR, and most people in Europe, I guess, don't know it either. But uh, we're a staffing company, temping company, specialized in recruitment and engineering solutions um, and specialized staffing. We're active in 10 European countries, and we have about 2 billion dollar of revenue so we're not small but we're not uh, as big as adequo or runstat yet mm -hmm. but we are on our way we're growing fast and i'm chief digital meaning responsible for uh, digital innovation e-recruitment those kinds of things and i've been in the business for about 20 years i guess now i started at a local newspaper with local i mean belgium a belgium newspaper 
I launched Job Ads, which uh, the website for the um, job board for the newspaper. I've worked for USG People, for uh, some other companies, but always within recruitment and digital. Okay, well, let's cut to the the important stuff. Your favorite Belgian beer is what? Westfleteren. It's a Trappist beer brewed by the monks in Westfleteren. It's uh-huh. pretty exclusive, but my mom happens to be a old friend of the Abt, the chief monk. Ooh. And uh, I just have to drive to Westfleteren and they fill my car with beer. Is that the one where they only have like a few distribution days a year and you have to like be a, be, a, be there at the right time or know the right people? Is that the, the same monastery? That's the one. Yeah. Wow. So so for, for our listeners, uh, Levin, I think, saw me speak in the mid 2000s and reached out to me a couple of years ago when we could still travel and said, hey, do you want to come to our annual conference and, and do a little talk about whatever you want? And I said, sure, why not? Went out to a middle middle aged city, some Renaissance, whatever alcove in in uh, Belgium. Uh, Levin fed me beers, showed me a good time, and I can tell you, he's you know in his twenty years experience, the dude is super sharp in this in this industry. Um, he knows Europe as good as anybody that I've ever talked to, and for those reasons, a little teaser here, everybody, you're going to hear a lot more from Levin in the future. I'll just leave in it at that, if you know what I'm saying. So leaving fan of the show, you know, we got to do shout outs. So I'm going to let you do the first one, my friend. <laughs> okay. Then one and just one big shout out to my boss, Rika, Rika Coppens, who finally got COVID. She's been uh, avoiding it for two years now, but she finally got COVID and I wish her all the best. So in Europe is finally got COVID a badge of honor. I don't understand why that's a shout out. Well, no, but she's evading it for uh, almost two years, and now uh, it's yeah, it's caught up with her. So we feel sorry for her, and we hope she's getting better fast because okay. we miss her. Well, she's she's lis- cool. If she's listening to her best employee on this sad excuse for a podcast. She's not doing very well at the moment. Anyway, um, so how is COVID? Uh, how's it going? How's the how's the vaccination going in Europe? Oh, it depends on uh, what country you're in. In Belgium, it's going slow. Uh, the other countries, some are doing great. Uh, the Nordics are pretty advanced, I guess. Uh, Ireland as well, the UK probably too. But in Belgium, they've been talking a lot about uh, what vaccine are we going to give? And then they were all sold out, so we had to wait. Well, thankfully, a lot of countries are opening up uh, to travel, which makes Chad and I very happy. So hopefully we'll be able to uh, have some of that Belgian brew face to face at some point in the fall. Okay. If we're, I'm expecting if we're you in uh, in November, the 18th of November to be precise. And you're throwing in the plugs, yeah. seriously in the in the podcast. I like that. What was that date again? Leaving November what? November 18th. It's a okay. Thursday, and it's our e-recruitment conference, the Congress at which you spoke a few years ago in Ghent. Nice. But now it's in Austin. It's uh, at the sea. And we're going to do it uh, hybrid. So um, if COVID uh, stopped bothering us, you'll be there present. I will be there anyway, but you will we'll be there live. And otherwise, it will be virtual. Well, it's Oops. hard to drink beer virtually, uh, as good That's as the right. stuff that comes out of Belgium. So anyway, hope that hopefully we can get there in person. Uh, I've got a couple shout outs. Uh, number one, I've got a shout out for 
Gwyneth Paltrow. I'm not sure she's got gotten COVID yet or not. But anyway, uh, her country, her company Goop, which I've never uh, bought anything from, is being sued. So a Texas man is suing Paltrow's company over a $75 candle called. You ready for this? The candle is called "This Smells Like My Vagina." Okay. The Texas man said the candle exploded in his bedroom. This has to be a joke, right? I hope it's. it's I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know what's worse: the candle that smells like Gwyneth's vagina, or getting sued because it exploded in your bedroom. Anyway, shout out to Gwyneth. I hope that lawsuit pans out in your favor. My second shout out goes to Harry and Charlie. Who the fuck are Harry and Charlie? You might be asking. You've probably seen the YouTube video of Charlie bit me where the two young English boys are playing a little slap and tickle. Charlie bites Harry and the cute as hell quote, Charlie, you bit me. That hurt Charlie. You've seen this video, right? Leaving. I've saw it. I've seen okay. it. This thing's time. been this thing's been viewed eight hundred million times, probably a billion uh, since we've been talking about uh, this news story. So anyway, the boys are grown up. This happened in two thousand seven, so they're they're legal age now, and they are auctioning off the official or the original video of this uh, epic bite on the internet as an NFT. Uh, you can find out more at charliebitme.com, uh, which is actually starting in, in about two days. So by the time you listen to this podcast, you head, head on over to charliebitme.com and you can make a play for that lovely video uh, with a nice NFT purchase, which will probably go for $100 million plus, uh, seeing how NFTs are going these days. My last little tidbit is I got to talk about free shit. If you like bourbon, if you like awesome tri-blend t-shirts, if you like whiskey, we got it. You got to head out to chadcheese.com slash free. We've got shirts sponsored by Emissary. We've got whiskey sponsored by Sovereign, and we have beer sponsored by Adzuna. So if you haven't done that yet, kids, get on out to chadcheese.com slash free and sign up today. And with that... got some news hot off the presses. This came across my desk uh, this morning, actually. So Pando Logic, sponsor of the show, has announced that they have acquired chatbot Wade and Wendy. So uh, there'll be a shred on this that will probably go out before this weekly show. So check the archives for this. But basically, terms were not disclosed, which usually means it was cheaper than uh, the investors would like to announce. Uh, they're keeping all the employees at the company. There are currently 14 that will stay uh, with the uh, organization. Wade and Wendy brand will continue uh, to live, but it will have a Pando company quote uh, under the logo as it appears on websites and conferences and wherever wherever else you see the Wade and Wendy logo. The company was founded in 2015 uh, and they had raised Roughly, uh, they have raised. They had raised eleven and a half million dollars from a variety of investors, including Randstad Innovation Fund, which is from your neck of the woods, Levin. Any comment about this uh, uh, impending feeding frenzy on chatbots? I assume they're all the rage in Europe, just as they are here in America. 
Yeah, we acquired around. We have uh, Dora, Happy Recruiter, or at least we have uh, a part in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we felt if we want to play with the big boys, we need a chatbot. And we were right, because it actually works. Uh, we're doing our own recruitment through chatbots. We're reaching out to people on social media, trying to find those passive job seekers. And the chatbots is doing the hard work. It's getting in touch with people. It's asking the right questions, trying to make appointments. And then our recruiters can spend time on the things they're actually good in, making conversation with interested people. Yep. And I assume scheduling is part of that as well, which we hear is a mm-hmm. real nice nice feature of chatbots. Yeah, scheduling is a real pain in the ass. Working 24 hours, seven days, so people can answer the questions whenever they want. No doubt. Now, did you acquire, uh, Happy Recruiter used to be a sponsor for a minute. Uh, did you acquire those guys? Yeah, we have part of them. We okay. don't, uh, yeah, we were a shareholder, not the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. Are they, uh, they were looking to grow in the US. Have they started expanding effectively? In Europe, they are. In okay. the US, maybe. I know there are plans, but uh, I should talk to them. I'm not sure about US. I'm, okay. I do know about Europe. Yeah. Well, obviously, if they were advertising on our show for a minute, they're looking to get in the U.S. to some degree because that is the the bulk of our listeners. Oh, so the so the so free the, advertising now. It's a door yeah, it is free advertising now. They're in the U.S. now, whether they like it or not. Uh, and yeah. I didn't know that you had acquired them, so I didn't set you up for a for a freebie ad there. By the way, um, so so the chatbot feeding frenzy uh, continues. Uh, this was a this was a shred out late last week. Um, that Stepstone, another company uh, in your neck of the woods, had acquired Maya, mm. uh, who was basically the the pioneer, the OG of uh, the recruiting chatbot. So this is uh, Dusseldorf-based Stepstone uh, acquired San Francisco-based Maya, uh, pioneer in the chatbot technology. Uh, the new technology will become part of Stepstone's autonomous matching platform. That's trademarked. Uh, based in machine learning, conversational AI will enable job seekers to find matching job opportunities even without actively searching for them. The technology draws conclusions from talking to the candidate and then suggesting suitable jobs via text message, WhatsApp, or on-site chat. Uh, Total Jobs, uh, which is a big name in the UK, will be the first of StepStone's job platforms to integrate its new autonomous matching technology powered by Maya. Stepstone's Total Jobs platform in Germany will integrate the technology after the UK later this year. Uh, Maya Systems was founded in 2012 and raised around $52 million. So the feeding frenzy continues. Uh, interestingly from this, uh, in on May 10th, there was a news story on the internet uh, that had been deleted. Um, the archive was still available um, there was some speculation by me as to why uh, the story had been deleted. Uh, after I sort of published it and the shred went out, uh, Maya and Stepstone officially released the news. So there was some speculation as to why they wanted to keep it quiet. Uh, and it could have just been timing, right? They were going to they were going to announce it anyway, but someone someone jumped the gun. Um, interestingly, Axel Springer, uh, who owns all these companies, also owns AppCast. Uh, which could be the reason why they wanted to keep it quiet. Um, you'll remember that after they acquired AppCast, there was a, another feeding frenzy in the pro- programmatic um, universe. Uh, specifically, uh, Indeed acquired 
Click IQ and has since uh, launched their own little programmatic solution called Indeed IQ. Um, do you expect more and more chatbots uh, to be to be bought up? And do you do you are you suspicious at all that the terms of these deals aren't being disclosed? Because I think the assumption was that these would be pretty big deals, as in a hundred million plus, and it looks like they're going for a little less than maybe people like me thought they would. What are your thoughts? Oh, I can't say anything intelligent about the amounts. I actually have no clue. But um, I'm sure those traditional job boards, they need to do something. And for example, Stepstone, they've been they've been there for 20 years, I guess, more, even more. Um, and when I started working, Stepstone was the number one job board in Europe. And if you needed a job, you went to Stepstone. But now I just did a survey with uh, my students at Antwerp University. I also am a part-time teacher. I'm a guest lecturer. And she did her master thesis, her master's description on the subject. How are young people finding their first jobs? And how are companies reaching out to young people, to starters? And it was really interesting. We did a big survey on uh, what channels are those people using. And we asked them, what job boards do you know? And we actually feed them the name. And we said, to them, do you know Monster? Do you know Stepstone? Do you know a big one in Belgium, Jobat, etc." And Stepstone, two out of three people, never heard of it. They just it didn't ring a bell at all. Monster, even three out of four, meaning those companies haven't been advertising enough. And the new generation just doesn't know it. They've never been looking for a job. So why would they know a company hiring or an intermediary and hiring people? So I guess for Stepstone... They need to do something. And they used to be a job board. They still are with a paper credits business model, which is, in my opinion, outdated. Now you have the paper click and paper lead even. So paper credit is old school. And they have a CV database, which is also outdated because you have now LinkedIn with the best CV database in the world, I guess. It's self-sustainable. So they need to do something. And if they want to reach out to of job seekers, I guess the chatbots are the way to go. But who am I? So, so, so basically, your your thesis is that these old school job boards, these old creaky, cobwebbed, ridden uh, job boards, are are trying to be with the cool kids by buying up the chatbots and hoping that that will uh, reinvigorate their connection with younger folks who obviously are messaging and chatting uh, twenty four hours a day. No, indeed. Curious how uh, Indeed fared in your survey. Were they part of uh, the data set? Yeah, and they, the name didn't ring a bell at all. They were, but it's been two years, so probably now they're getting bigger. But in uh-huh. those days, they weren't very known. But people found them through Google, I guess, and they just didn't realize it was Indeed they were clicking on. And now the name is, the brand is getting more recognition. And nice to know, Indeed is making lots of commercials in Belgium and in <laughs> the surrounding countries because uh-huh. they want to stretch it, stretch it as long as they can, I guess. Yeah, Google, because they have, they have to. Because <laughs> they have to. How about Glassdoor? Were they on the survey? No, not at all, because at that point, I probably hardly knew them myself. It's yeah. Glassdoor isn't really a thing here. And now it is because Google for Jobs was launched and they have a an agreement and, and Glassdoor is mentioned constantly with the salary survey or the benchmark or how do you call it? But um, people are getting to know it now, but it's going slow. 
So, right. so that, that, that leads us, that segues into our next story. Uh, this is how we ro- roll on the show. So, uh, Indian and Glassdoor's parent company, uh, Recruit Holdings came out with fourth quarter revenue growth, um, this past quarter that was boosted by the likes of Glassdoor and Indeed. So Japanese staffing firm Recruit Holdings reported revenue this week for the fourth quarter ended 31st of March, uh, of $5.61 billion dollars. Good God, that's a lot of money. Uh, This was an increase of 4% when compared to the same period last year. The group's HR technology business, which includes Indeed and Glassdoor, drove growth during the quarter. The revenue increase in HR technology was primarily driven by increased demand for sponsored job advertising. For the fiscal year, approximately 75% of HR technology revenue was derived from business clients in the U.S., that's kind of interesting. U.S. is driving uh, a lot of the revenue here. Uh, so by the 26th of March, jobs postings on Indeed in the U.S. were 13.5% above those uh, from February 1st, 2020. Uh, the company's guidance is for growth of between 40 and 50% damn, for its HR technology division, again, including Indeed and Glassdoor. Also, Recruit Holdings announced this week, a little bit of a sidebar here, that it aims to have women in half of its senior executive roles within 10 years. So it looks like you'll be seeing a lot more of Indeed and Glassdoor when you look at this 50-40% growth and the fact that 75% of that looks like it's coming from the U.S. A lot of room for growth. What kind of odds do you give them to make any kind of uh, you know significant traction over in Europe? Hmm. They are growing fast, I guess, and... They are gaining ground, but um, I don't like the way Indeed is working today. And I feel, and I'm still a believer, Google for Jobs is going to solve its little growing pains and Mm -hmm. they'll become bigger, they'll become better, and they will play Indeed out of the market. But that's my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, we had our issues with Indeed, and they, they deliver us lots of, uh, of traffic, and it works, but it's not always easy. I feel they, when, I, when I'm teaching, and actually I teach e-recruitment, I used to tell my students Indeed is the job board of the future. Well, I don't do that anymore. Yeah. I don't feel they are the job board of the future. They used to be the job board of the future, and now they have to reinvent themselves. And I feel they are constantly on the lookout for something new. And they, they started uh, virtual fairs, et cetera, mm-hmm. new businesses. And they were constantly changing positions. But we don't really know what we are going to do. I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting your take on uh, Glassdoor being a zero uh, until their pay uh, pay information started showing up on Google for jobs. Uh, I assume their Glassdoor jobs are on Google for jobs as well. Um, whereas people, so now people can find them there. I I'm guessing I haven't heard anything about indeed, um, adding their jobs to Google for jobs over in Europe for a while. I know that they were testing, I think in France for a bit of time. Are you seeing anything on your end in terms of more indeed content showing up on Google for jobs or driving uh, more traffic through Google for jobs? Or are they still sort of absent and just running advertising? They're absent, but yeah. uh, just in the organic search, we can still find them. They are still on top, but now there's Google for jobs mm-hmm. on the top of the top. So um, I guess they, they must feel it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, speaking of uh, on top and hoping to stay on top, 
a lot of companies, startups have their eye on LinkedIn and dethroning uh, those guys. So Upstream, a Miami-based professional networking platform, raised $2.75 million in seed money this week, bringing their total raise to $3.25 million in order to take on LinkedIn. Unlike LinkedIn, Upstream focuses on generating meaning- meaningful connections between its members and one way they go about it is by hosting digital events that start with a speaker followed by a breakout match session that are five minutes each. Uh, a TechCrunch writer called it LinkedIn meets Clubhouse meets Hopin. Uh, said Alex Taub, co-founder and CEO of Upstream, quote, you don't go to LinkedIn to meet people. You don't hang out and spend meaning- meaningful time there, end quote. Um, another LinkedIn wannabe called Hardy is another notable newcomer who's making some waves, and I've personally gotten some invites um, in my inbox. So, Levin, I drink the Kool Aid from LinkedIn regularly, but where are your thoughts on LinkedIn's blossoming competition? You give them a shot or not so much? I do actually, because LinkedIn has been struggling, and I really know LinkedIn well. I've been following them since they launched i guess and and we've been working with them and i've visited their conferences worldwide and i've been working with linkedin daily so i think i know them and they've been struggling with finding people who could deliver content which was good enough because today the content on linkedin mostly is uh, people shouting out to other people and saying meaningless stuff like a good leader is the one who's uh, whatever so um HR nonsense, in my opinion. Yeah. All those soft kinds of stuff. And they tried launching LinkedIn articles to get people to write essays, but it never worked. People use it to, as a guerrilla marketing technique to uh, launch their vacancies uh, on, on the articles. Um, they, they have now LinkedIn Live. And you can live stream on LinkedIn and it mm-hmm. works. But if you see the number of people looking at it, it's always low. I uh, just saw one of our big competitors launching in a, while I was on the stream, launching, well, they have 200 people watching the stream. Sorry, but I feel they should be talking to you. They would have more listeners. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, so I think it's a good thing that LinkedIn will get a decent competitor. I hope it will be a decent competitor. It's a good mm-hmm. thing. It uh, will make them less arrogant, which today, in my opinion, sometimes they are. Mm. And maybe the what you said said something in between um, LinkedIn and uh, what were the other two you mentioned? Uh, um, Clubhouse uh, and Hopin, which exactly. is sort of a virtual event. event yeah. Uh, pro- and, uh, yeah, I really don't like Clubhouse myself, but I guess some people do. And Hopin is a virtual fair, so if they can mix those three, yeah. why not? I, I think you've moved my needle a little bit. Um, I mean, I think what you said in terms of arrogance, uh, hubris is a good word that I like to use a lot. I mean, look, they're they're pretty satisfied with what's going on. Um, I think they have 750 million users, um, you know, heading fast to 800 and a billion here at some point. Um, they still have the network effects of that's where people are. Um, particularly old people like me. Um, so, you know, when, when I got the invite to Hardy, um, the, the comment I had internally was like, why in the hell am I going to fill out another f- like profile 
when I already have one on LinkedIn, I already have thousands of followers and connections and I get traction there. Like there's no reason for someone my age to move off of LinkedIn. Um, however, there's a whole new generation and you mentioned teaching students. Uh, there's a new crop of people every year that are looking for ways to connect professionally. Um, and I think like, you know, those people are going to look for other homes besides LinkedIn. I think a lot of them will, will, will set up shop in LinkedIn because they feel like that's where the companies are. And that's where, you know, I can, I can get traction in my career, but I think they'll have another foot in other places. Um, I know like, uh, Bumble, Bumble here in the U S in particular is a, is a popular dating site, which apparently is getting traction with uh, sort of friend relationships and potentially business relationships. So there's going to be a, an audience that l- gravitates somewhere other than LinkedIn. Um, and, you know, why not? And I think I think LinkedIn has become a little stale. Um, I think they're trying to throw things like stories and video and live stuff, you know, at, at the market. But I mean, stories, for example, I mean, stories are the lifeblood of Instagram and Snapchat, and I see very little traction uh, for link for stories on LinkedIn. So I think you're I think you're onto something in saying like, hey, they're they're kind of satisfied, they're making a lot of money, and they're going to make a lot of money with the job, uh, you know, jobs heating up. But longer term, uh, you know, competition is good, and I think younger people will be looking for an alternative uh, to LinkedIn, just like they look for an alternative to Facebook and Instagram and, and others. So, so nice take on that. Let's, uh, let's take a quick break. And we, when we get back, uh, we'll talk about, uh, free money, which is something you Europeans know a lot about. We'll be right back. <laughs> okay. You know, Steve, it feels like we keep getting pushed to hire more and better candidates with no more budget. Right. I wish there was a way to get better results from what we're doing. Actually, I heard in an episode of Chad and Cheese about this framework from Jobvine. Oh yeah, Evolve. It's a technology agnostic framework to help TA teams get better results from their recruiting efforts. And we don't even have to be a Jobvite customer to use it. I bet we would get better results if we orchestrated all of our efforts. You mean like a centralized process and all of our channels working together? For sure. Whether it's job boards, social, or even texting with candidates. Let's do that. Jobvite.com forward slash evolve. I'll send you the link. Cool. I'm going to finish watching this episode of Bridgerton. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. So I feel a little guilty uh, talking about Amazon uh, with Chad not here because it's his his favorite topic of all the topics I think we have. But we've been dealing with, in the U.S., a big problem with people not wanting to go work. Uh, and there are a lot of theories around this, whether it's they're getting government checks, unemployment checks, and stimulus checks. Um, to, to live. And then they're just sort of, uh, you know, gigging, driving Ubers and DoorDash cars and, and whatnot, gigging on the side. Uh, issues of, of mothers having to stay home because uh, I think 50% of schools are still closed, uh, which is a real travesty uh, in this country, um, as well as, uh, you know, other things. But companies and now governments are 
trying to do all that they can to get people off the couch uh, and back into work. So uh, news out this week, Amazon plans to add 75,000 workers in the U.S. and Canada in a hiring spree that could ultimately bring its total U.S. workforce to over 1 million people. Uh, The retailer said the new positions will pay an average of $17 per hour. Uh, They recently moved it up to uh, from 15. Uh, The minimum wage here in the U.S. is, uh, well, it's nothing to write home about. Uh, Anyway, they also said that they would offer $1,000 signing bonuses with an extra $100 going to new hires who are fully vaccinated. Additionally, states like Connecticut and Montana are giving out free money for people to accept job offers and get back to work instead of laying low, collecting unemployment benefits. Uh, also in the news this week, Bank of America announced that they will be paying uh, 20, a $25 minimum wage by 2025 and that they will also only do business with companies who had a minimum wage of at least $15. Now, leaving as a citizen mm-hmm. of the EU, I suppose these sort of cash incentives are no big deal, right? Europeans are used to money for nothing. Your no, thoughts? The, moment, the moment we are born, we start receiving money. <laughs> so who, why, why work at all in Europe? Or does nobody really work in Europe? It's just passion. We love working. Are the are service industry companies finding it hard to get people back to work? Is it is COVID the underlying challenge in Europe at this point? Like what's uh, what's keeping distribution centers uh, hard to find work? Are governments finding that they have to incentivize folks uh, to get back to work? Like what's the situation over in Europe right now? In most countries, it really is a problem. We struggle to find the right people. And as you said, you get money just to keep you alive for doing nothing. But if the difference is too small for just staying at home, not working, Mm -hmm. and then for working at a minimum wage, if that difference is too small, why would you work? And as you said, you can do some gigs on the sideline without, I guess, paying much taxes or if you pay any taxes at all. Mm -hmm. But um, that is a problem. And I in Europe, the problem basically is the taxes you pay as a working citizen. Labor is taxed a lot. Mm-hmm. The companies pay a lot, but the tax, how do you call it? The, the weight, the tax weight is, is huge, much higher yeah. than in the, in the US, I guess. And that's a problem. So the netto income is just too low compared to what you get for not working, unemployment wages. Yep. Now, when the pandemic hit, I think the U.S. had a much different uh, perspective on how to tackle uh, the Commonwealth. Our our strategy was basically loan money to companies to then furlough or keep em- keep employees on the on the payroll, um, and then hopes that okay, when when we can go back to work, you you still have those employees, and then the money that you borrowed from the government or uh, um, underwritten by the government, uh, you'd be able to pay back with no interest, or sometimes they were sort of uh, free loans, depending on a variety of circumstances. Whereas Europe basically said, uh, "We're going to just we're just going to pay the people. We're going to send money to people. It's not. I mean, they're going to be furloughed. They're going to be sent home." Um, did do you find that that was a a stronger strategy to just pay folks as opposed to give money to companies, or would you have rather? had more uh, corporate 
um, corporate help or welfare. During this pandemic, most governments did both. Um, people were uh, given money, but uh, companies also. I mean, in Belgium, and you've uh, been there, we have lots of pubs or cafes. And um, they had really hard time because they have been closed for over a year. Mm -hmm. And we just kept them alive. And the government was paying them. And I believe it was for just a single person pub, it was 3,000 euros they got just to close. Yep. For um, those very old uh, pubs, which you sometimes still have in those uh, little villages in Belgium, where there is a lady, 80 years old, serving three beers a day to the neighbor, but she still works. She actually, I guess, made more money than before. <laughs> so um, in some, some cases, it was, a, in my opinion, a waste of money and some pubs shouldn't probably have been kept alive. But in other cases, it was... Uh, a God's gift that the government kept those restaurants and, and, and pubs alive. Yeah. And so it's not that we didn't do anything. We did, but it costs so much money. And sometimes I think, shouldn't I just have been investing in more hospitals and, hmm. and uh, kept everyone working where yeah. possible instead of closing everything down and, and paying to keep it alive? Yeah. Now, I know in the U.S., I think uh, the last number I saw was around 100,000 uh, restaurants uh, had closed across the U.S. Are you seeing a lot of pubs, restaurants, maybe historically relevant? Um, have, are, they are they going under in Europe? Or are they just sort of closed and they'll be opening up um, yeah. as soon as the world opens up? We have less companies uh, going broke than before because of the government's um, money they're giving. So um, those companies, those uh, restaurants have been opening last week on the terraces in Belgium, for example. Gotcha. So we can now have dinner on a terrace. It's been raining for 10 days, so we don't, but uh, we could. Um, and uh, most of the restaurants are going to be opening soon. Interesting. So uh, Microsoft, uh, our next news story, Microsoft did a survey uh, this past week that they titled The Next Great Disruption is Hybrid Work. Are we ready? Uh Quote. So this was a this was an extensive survey uh, study that they did. Um, you can check it out at Microsoft.com or just search uh, "next great disruption Microsoft survey" or whatever um, on Google. So this was a really long study. Um, a, a couple things really stood out to me um, from the research that Microsoft did. So according to the study, uh, they found that forty one percent of employees have considered not just changing jobs but moving to a new career uh, post-pandemic. The key to switching careers lies not in, in, in necessarily going back to school, but developing lifelong skills that transfer across career fields, uh, noted Marnie Baker-Stein from Western Governors University. Uh, she said, quote, the transferability of skills from one industry to another is a big part of what skilling and reskilling and upskilling are all about. Uh, the second thing that got my attention was that if you if you're basically middle middle aged and male, uh, you did pretty well, and if you weren't part of that group, you you didn't do very well. So business leaders uh, surveyed uh, were more likely uh, to be millennials or Gen X, male information workers, and farther along in their careers. Uh, in contrast, Gen Z women frontline workers and those new to their careers reported struggling the most over the past year, uh, and workers feel uh, disconnected. Thirty seven percent of the global workforce says their companies are asking too much of them 
at a time like this. And they had a, they had, they had metrics around a percentage of time that increased for email, for chats, for video conferencing, for everything had really increased significantly over the past year. So those were two things uh, that got my attention. It looks like a lot of your people are going to be gone uh, at post pandemic and also a lot of people are hurting. And I think that the, the, the increase in investment money that we're seeing in companies that are focused on mental health and helping people get through, uh, struggling times uh, at home with, you know, screaming kids, barking dogs, other, uh, other things that they have to do, uh, is really important. Um, what from the, uh, the survey caught your eye, Levin? The 40%, 40% of the, the global workforce is thinking about leaving their employer. Uh, that's a lot. Yeah. And I'm pretty excited about it because those people <laughs> need career guidance and we can offer it and we can get them from one company and place them in another and um, make small profit on it, which is our business. Yeah. But uh, so I'm okay with that. Um, but the hybrid model is something companies will have to get used to. And I'm going to give a small example. Mm -hmm. I saw a vacancy last week in which was mentioned you can choose between a company car or an installed home office. And they explained what an installed home office was, and mm -hmm. it really sounded installed. And that's a, it's, a nice, uh, it's a nice evolution that you can choose between having to commute and you get a car for your commute, but you can also get a nice home office with uh, a design chair, ergonomics, and, and the perfect screens, and a decent camera, and uh, a good soundboard, etc. So uh, it's something companies will have to get used to. They have yeah. to think about it. Yeah, I saw something similar. I think it was, would you rather have uh, 30 grand more a year in salary or be able to work from home uh, whenever you want? And the majority of people chose working from home versus uh, 30 grand more um, to their paycheck, on, which was pretty interesting. Yeah, but it all depends on how much you make. If you make 300,000 a year, then I would skip the 30, I guess, to be able to work from home. But if you only make 40 or 50, then the 30 would be nice. Yeah, it's very subjective, right? Like 30 grand in New York City is not the same as 30 grand in Toledo, Ohio, or a, you know, a small city. So it's very subjective. But the point is, I think you're right in saying that, look, folks want to work from home. They want flexibility. Um, to do one or the other or whenever they want. And, and companies that don't offer that um, are definitely going to struggle. And we, we saw that as well with Google recently, uh, where their union uh, pretty much uh, forced Google's uh, executive's hand in saying, you know, uh, help our childcare come to work, create stipends for them to get, you know, get here and uh, give us more flexibility. Because it sounded like for a, for a second, all these companies that had, had initially said like, hey, work from home forever, changed their tune and said, okay, we're going back to work. And I think some industries certainly will. It looks like banking and finance uh, is going to be back in the office. Uh, but for a lot of people, they prefer the work from home. But we also have to, we also do have to address the fact that people have mental challenges when they work from home. They don't have the human to human contact that they normally would in the office. Uh, there's less moments of, you know, serendipity or creativity um, when you just sit at home and work from home, you're more efficient in most cases, but you're also lonelier and have, have challenges around that. So I think we have to get through those uh, to make work from home uh, successful. And I think that uh, hopefully, hopefully we'll get there. Now, one job that's really hard uh, to do from home 
is stripping. And we'll talk about that right after the break. As the best ad tool in the industry, JobAdX has been providing job board publishers, direct employers, agencies, RPOs, and staffing firms, dynamic job bidding and real-time ad delivery through our programmatic job advertising exchange. When we started, we described JobAdX as AdSense for jobs. Now, we offer much more with Switchboard and LiveAlert, completing our full suite of dynamic programmatic advertising tools with the best of consumer ad tech. Switchboard offers our dynamic technologies to all partner job board feed management, and LiveAlert eliminates latency and expired job ads via email. For more information about any of our ad solutions, please reach out to us at joinus at jobadx.com. That's joinus at jobadx.com. JobAdX, the best ad tool providing smarter programmatic for all your advertising needs. So stripping ain't easy, uh, Levin. So strippers are back on the job, but COVID rules are hurting their pay. Revenue in the industry is estimated to have decreased 17.4% uh, throughout 2020. So this is from Fox Business News. When California stripper Brittany... 26, walked into San Francisco's reopened Gold Club after a year. She was welcomed with medical masks and too few patrons. An hour of that four-hour shift was spent just waiting for customers, and she earned $150, less than a third of what she would have made pre-pandemic, said Brittany, which is not her real name, by the way. (laughs) Quote, it's just not fun anymore, end quote. The story went on to say that revenue in the industry is estimated to have decreased 17.4% throughout last year and is forecast to fall another 1.5% this year. This who could fled to state, those who could flee, flee to states with lax pandemic rules like Texas and Florida. Uh, I know what you're saying. They can just go to only fans and make money there, right? Well, think again, April Hayes also not her real name, turned to online work. When the clubs closed, she made $400 in her first month on the content sharing site OnlyFans, far less than the over $700 she would have made on one night stripping. So leaving, what's a stripper to do? Go work for Amazon, I guess. (laughs) Probably, and uh, she might get a, a hiring fee. But um, I don't see the problem. I mean, the stripper can leave the mask on. You can make a song about it. You can leave your mask on. But uh, people don't really comfort their charming smiles, I guess. So if they leave their mask on and you're not allowed to touch them, I was told, (laughs) by a bouncer. (laughs) um, Not in the U.S. Not in the U.S. US. But uh, it's, it's pretty safe, I guess, watching a strip show. So I'm not sure why people stop coming. Yeah, so so leave it to us to talk about this issue throughout the pandemic. So we've talked about car washes that became strip clubs and you would just drive through or, or drive ins with strippers and then, you know, pay them uh, little buckets of, of tips and whatnot. Um and so so now that they're back to work, they're they're serious they're obviously dealing with more challenges. I was surprised to hear uh the only fans uh commentary because I've always thought or heard that all these all these women, young women that want to get naked, are going to OnlyFans and making millions by stripping online, and that's really nice because you don't have to deal with smelly men, grabby men, smoky you know bars and nasty you know locations. So this story sort of put that on its head. Like 
you can't just go to the internet and make money like you could in a strip club. So for the stripper's sake, I hope that uh, the, the men get back in there and, and start tipping as they should. I would have to think that once the world gets vaccinated and comfortable, that young people uh, and everyone is vaccinated, that, that people are going to flock uh, to strip clubs once they think it's safe. So strippers, keep the faith. Stay strong. Uh, the men will be back with money in hand uh, to, to make life a lot better for you. So leaving, as is tradition on this show, when it's over, we give this, the listeners a we out. Can I say we out? Cool. I always in whatever want- language we you out. want, man. We out. Thank you for listening to what's it called? A podcast. The chat. The cheese. Brilliant. They talk about recruiting. They talk about technology. But most of all, they talk about nothing. Just a lot of shout outs of people you don't even know. And yet you're listening. It's incredible. And not one word about cheese. Not one. Cheddar. Blue. Nacho. Pepper Jack. Swiss. There's so many cheeses and not one word. So weird. Anywho. Be sure to subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That way, you won't miss an episode. And while you're at it, visit www.chatcheese.com. Just don't expect to find any recipes for grilled cheese. It's so weird. We out! You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.